Hey all you out there in podcast land, welcome to Stream Police, the podcast where we tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly on Netflix. I'm John Otney, joining me is Michael Seventy. How you doing, Michael? Doing alright. Of course, this is the podcast where we take randomly selected Netflix films and review them. Last week, we were given three options that included the 2009 Italian drama I Am Love, the 1955 action flick Top of the World, and the 1996 straight-to-video sci-fi film Crossworlds. And the winner is... Crossworlds. Michael, why do you think Crossworlds came out on top? I think it's just uh, it's a 90-minute direct-to-video sci-fi movie, which just requires uh, the least of us in our busy, busy lives. We can just sit down and knock this out in a one sitting, whereas the other ones are a little bit, uh, a little bit more to chew on. There was some interest towards Top of the World, Top of the World, the 1955 yeah. film, because it had no Wikipedia, there it had no recognizable stars, no picture yeah. on its IMDb page. Yeah. Uh, but it was just too much of a risk uh, for me. So yeah, I think Crossroads was the safe pick. I believe I uh, I said on the previous podcast, yeah, you know, I'm always down for some kind of like thing that looks like a ridiculous piece of shit. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if I still feel that way now, but uh, we'll get into that in just a bit. Mm. First, thought it might be fun to talk about some music. Michael, you just informed me earlier today that Weezer has another single out for their upcoming uh, new album. Uh, yeah, uh, Cleopatra, uh, the new single. Um it's much, much, much better than Back to the Shack, though, you know, I guess most things are, uh, really. Um, it's not quite, um, if you go on some of the forums or just in comment sections, there's some exaggerations in both directions uh, with some people are a little too quick to say, oh, this is a return to form. This is this reminds me of like Blue Album Weezer, which eh, let's let's cool our jets a little bit here. It, but it is still like kind of uh, it, it reminds me of what Rivers Cuomo is good at with he, like he actually is really good at just song craft and there I, I like when it goes to that five four time with the you know the you can't control me no more that no more makes it go into that uh, that time change and then the bridge I really like that five ten fifteen like it, it's just yeah. such a silly but catchy and and really fun little Weezerian uh, bit Weezer. there. Yeah, and I just, uh, I, I th- like the solo. I think that's a very Cuomo uh, solo. And, uh, you know, it's not uh, perfect. I think the verses are kind of kind of just there. I think the chorus and the bridge section are, are really, you know, what it's all about. But uh, I dig it, and um, I am a little bit more optimistic about everything will be all right in the end. I initially when I heard that track I was I was like I don't know because there was some acoustic guitar and a little bit of harmonica yeah. but then that kind of fell to the back and uh I I immediately felt comfortable with the uh, very poppy melody and uh just a sound that's definitely more similar to what I imagine what Weezer should sound like so yeah it was definitely better than Back to the Shack it didn't have weird um hip hoppy lyrics or at any point that were like like a dorky dad singing about something i feel like there's a lot of like weezer lyrics these days that sound like they're written by some dorky dad or just yeah. really bad lyrics in general most of ratitude yeah that album was called ratitude by the way <laughs> 
so yeah, this was definitely I, um, a much a much better experience. Though actually, I don't know if it if it really reassures me at all because it makes me think that the album's going to be inconsistent because even though I really like the song, it doesn't really sound that similar to their other songs. So sure. now I'm wondering, you know, is is that Back to the Shack song just totally different from all the others or are they all like all over the place? I mean, you think with Rick Ocasek being involved in the project for for the most part, he's probably keeping things under control. Uh, I don't know how Back to the Shack slipped out. <laughs> yeah, no, they've actually been talking about in interviews that uh, Rick Ocasek is, uh, that's sort of the role that he plays. Like, he'll tell them, oh, this section sounds like, I, I think the quote was like, oh, this sounds like sticks and not in a good way. <laughs> and then they had to change something. <laughs> and then, like, there was, like, a whistling thing that, I don't know. Like, there's things that uh, he's vetoed. And if so, I think that's really great because um, God knows that, uh Rivers Cuomo has kind of needed some uh somebody to say no to him uh on things for a while and I don't know hopefully that that kind of influence will be positive on the record but but I get what you're saying though that like um it, you know it can be it might be all over the place which uh that has definitely been a problem with uh weezer albums for a while especially like red with the yeah red yeah like that had a lot of different styles and sometimes it had moments that were kind of nice but for the most part it was just kind of overwhelming i <laughs> yeah. think yeah do you think this cleopatra song um is a return to form well if we define old weezer as just the first two albums then mm-hmm. i would say no i mean it, it's nowhere close to those heights because those are just fantastic albums those are some of my favorite albums ever um but i mean i think uh the, if the, i think the last album by weezer that had no bad songs on it and had quite a few good songs was green and i think this is uh not as good as the highlights on that one, but it you know it, it can sit comfortably with some of the songs on there and uh, some of the songs um, you know even on the bad albums like some of the the best songs on Make Believe or some of the best songs on uh, Hurley I don't even think those are uh, as good as this one or you know some of them maybe but I, I think it's the best thing they've done in a while I'll just say that I think what I look for or what I'd want in a return to form for Weezer is I'd want it to be very chunky and like hard rock and distorted, but not like crappy hair metal riffs like mm-hmm. Back to the Shack, because that's technically kind of heavy, but it's it's got a really stupid riff. I don't want stupid riffs. I want chunky sludge guitar, <laughs> and then I want introspective, angsty lyrics, not jokey, dopey lyrics. That's what I want. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to get that. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I hope that uh, there's something in there too. But you know, some of that effect. But um, I, I, if Rivers Cuomo decides to write like a really fucking good um, country album, then I, I would love it. I, I, if he, if he wants to branch out and do things that are stylistically different, then I'd be all for it. But I just, it, I just want the songs to be there. And for such a long time, the songwriting has just been either really lazy or uh, or I don't know, just half-assed, and I, I just um, Cleopatra is not that, which is just a good sign. You um, ever listen to any of his home recording solo albums? Yeah, Alone, the Alone mm-hmm. albums. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard a lot of demos. Uh, 
Weezer throughout like middle school was definitely my favorite band. And I still, um, there's just so much material there. Like they're uh, unreleased and demo stuff. And I've heard like a lot of it. Sometimes I wish some of that stuff was more polished up and put on albums. I feel like you always hear these stories about Rivers Cuomo back in the early 2000s, late 90s, writing 200 songs, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. over the course of a year or so. And oh, I always wish, oh, can't they just go back to those? Like that's, that's when Weezer was was good you know i'm there's got to be some good stuff in there sometimes i feel like rivers cuomo doesn't know what you know which of his songs are good and which are bad so true you can't tell so true so true went in a fan interview once uh he was asked what his uh greatest accomplishments as a songwriter were and he said falling for you which is great because that's an amazing song and beverly hills which is (laughs) It's just it's such an odd like pairing that the same guy made both those songs, but also that the same guy is so proud of both those songs. And his explanation was actually really interesting because he just talked about you know uh, how incredible "Falling for You" is musically, but also that Beverly Hills was able to connect to so many people, and you know that it, I, I think he really values uh, popular opinion and you know maybe catchiness sometimes at the expense of like craft, but. Yeah, it's fascinating, uh, his brain, I think. Well, I, maybe he just wants to be accepted in the fact that Beverly Hills, yeah, was such yeah. a, a weird hit that he's like, oh, well, if I do that, people like me, so this is good. Yeah, totally. And and that's, you know, the Greed album, which I think is a good album and I like. Uh, that, I like it, yeah. Yeah, that, like that's an album that he, he even said he, he wrote something called the Encyclopedia of Pop where he like analyzed songs by Oasis and Green Day and like tried <laughs> to create perfect pop songs because after the initial uh, failure of Pinkerton and, you know, uh, the kind of commercial failure of Weezer at the end of the 90s, he, he just decided that he wanted to uh, just become a pop machine and be liked again and be accepted again and, you know... And with Green, he also happened to make good songs, so it wasn't, you know, that uh, it wasn't that bad the result. But you know, it was also very impersonal, very compressed production-wise, kind of sterile and kind of uh, bland when it comes to the arrangements. Um, but you know, that that's just what he wanted to do because he wanted to conquer the worlds in the name of Weezer, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I th- I think it has something to do with the fact that Rivers Cuomo is so unsure of himself is the reason I continue to take an interest in Weezer because yeah. I always hold out hope that they're going to accidentally record a really good album or at least some really good new songs because Rivers Cuomo is never entirely sure where to take the band, mm-hmm. which is fair. Like, that's, that's tough when you've been around that long yeah. to know what to do, but I still <clears throat> think he's definitely got it in him to write good songs i don't know about a whole good album but definitely good songs yeah yeah you know and we were just talking about cleopatra and yeah i i mean i enjoyed it so if i could get a couple more songs like that i i'd say it's worth it for them to hang around wow we we, i feel like we could have a whole uh podcast devoted to weezer chat but for now let's transport ourselves to the world of crossroads when joe talbot saw her he had no way of knowing i just saw this really beautiful girl she just disappeared his life would never be the same don't be afraid i'm dreaming come with me or you're dead what the hell was that your life's in danger you just take me to the police okay i think this one's out of the jurisdiction at i want you to meet joe talbot where'd you get that my father gave it to me 
from beyond the boundaries of our dimension. Who signed off on your mission? The Queen. They have come. Oh, my God. To reclaim an object. Have you hidden it? Perhaps you already have it. Is there anything that you didn't tell me about the crystal dad left for me? I don't have time for this. That has unimaginable powers. I'm having a really strange feeling. They just landed in the ocean! What the hell is going on? We are the good guys. They're the bad guys. We have this. They want this real bad. Give me the scepter, Joseph. You want to play, Joseph? Crossworlds. All right. I'm going to start with a synopsis that I found on Amazon. I'm not sure if this was just by... If this was by someone who works for the site or if this was just by a fan, but I, I like this this colorful description of it. Uh, so here's uh, Crossworlds according to Sean Axemaker. Star Wars meets a wrinkle in time in this adventure of an intergalactic war and one assuming young man who holds the key to dimensional travel. The legacy of his mysterious adventurer father, boyish Josh Charles, is the lucky Luke Skywalker Stanton. A good-natured underachiever, shocked out of his lovelorn moping when gorgeous guerrilla fighter Andrea Roth takes the battle to his bedroom. Rutger Hauer is the coffee-chugging <laughs> freedom fighter who is roused from retirement to fill out the trio and face the dimensional mob boss Stuart Wilson to settle the fate of the universe. The obviously low-budget picture makes the most of limited special effects and striking settings. Notably, an elevator ride that turns into a free-floating mind game hanging in space, and a knockdown drag-out finale that sends our hapless hero popping up all over the universe. Hauer makes for a surprisingly charismatic mercenary turned father figure, and Charles is modestly charming. Once he loses the smart-ass wisecracks, but reaches for a scope that's beyond its means, Crossroads is an entertaining bit of sci-fi fluff. How could you not want to check this out after <laughs> that? Seriously. So I got to ask you, Michael, is that how you felt about Crossroads? I honestly, I, I th- thought that review was more entertaining <laughs> and creative than the movie. And I don't hate the movie, but that that is... Uh, very like infectiously enjoyable review that sounds like something stan lee would write (laughs) (laughs) so let's let's break down crossroads uh from the beginning yeah now the movie opens with probably the worst thing a sci-fi movie can open with and that's uh scrolling text (laughs) opening about some sort of uh legend or, or, or warlords that took over this land and and dimensional travel and all this bullshit that you're going to forget right after you hear it. That did not get me excited for this movie. But then we, we go to a uh, temple, an ancient <laughs> temple or, or something, or some sort of cave somewhere in Albania for some reason. Coastal Albania. Where a guy who we don't see his face finds this, uh, this staff. And then some guys in suits confront him with guns. And they ask him some other portion of that that's needed for the staff something like that but he's like i don't got it you know it's somewhere else you're like all right and then that cuts away (laughs) (laughs) i guess that was important we'll we'll find the relevance of that later and that's when we're introduced to um uh josh charles that's the actor's name right yeah josh charles who you may know from the good wife or i know him from the good wife i don't know i've i've heard of him i'm not that familiar with him and he plays Joe, Joseph, or as he prefers, Joseph Talbot, and he's a college student in uh, a pretty generic college setting where he's like got over a breakup, and his friend's like, come on, man, why don't you go out and meet somebody? 
And this is uh, probably a good time to mention that one of his friends is Jack Black. Yeah. How did you feel about that, Michael? Um, well, you know, I it, it's fun seeing a relatively young Jack Black, uh, very pre-fame. I've somehow, uh, there's been three different times where I've been watching a movie and uh, from the 90s and I'll see, is that is that Jack Black? And it's, and apparently I, I just checked on IMDb and those are pretty much his three his first three uh, movie appearances uh, were movies I all just randomly saw. Once on TV, Bye Bye Love, he's like at a party, that movie. Uh, once I saw Biodome with Polly Shore and uh, Stephen Baldwin, and he's Tenacious D is in that movie very briefly. And uh, this, I had no idea, but yeah, he's in Crossworlds. So I, I don't know how I have such luck in finding young Jack Black <laughs> in movies, but... I think it was also an episode of the X-Files around the same time yeah. as this movie, too. Yeah, yeah. With Giovanni Ribisi, which is a good one. Yeah. Uh, if I knew the name, I'd recommend it, but it's good. <laughs> and uh, Jack Black is playing Jack Black. I assume he went to an audition and just started, you know, going, <laughs> and, like, jumping around and yeah, and th- doing his shtick. And that's kind of fun to watch. I, I, I almost wish I had more of this character. Yeah, you know, honestly, like, he's not given... He's a very stereotypical, like, frat douche character, and he doesn't really have good dialogue, but he did. I did get a laugh out of. Uh, there's a part where he crushes a beer can on his head, and then there's kind of a pause, and Josh Charles goes, did "That hurt," and he goes, "It did kind of." The, the way he delivered that, I thought it was actually very like he, Jack Black's so good that even in this, <laughs> in that role, he managed to get a laugh. So that that made me laugh too, and uh, I think we both agree probably that the other friend isn't quite as notable. He's okay. So let's talk about, before we go further into the plot, Josh Charles, uh, I wasn't too familiar with him, but I mean, going into this movie, I figured uh, that the protagonist of this movie would be your typical kind of just meathead, <laughs> uh, dumb young guy in a sci-fi movie type character. And he was a little different. He's a little more kind of cynical and wisecracking. And I don't know, for me, that kind of worked, actually, like... I kind of liked his character, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was, I was going to say that, like, it, it could just be the affection that I have for him, because I like him on The Good Wife a lot. I liked him on The Good Wife a lot. And, um, yeah, I mean, he he has what, like, that Amazon reviewer said, a modest charm <laughs> to him that he kind of brings to uh, pretty much every role that I've seen him in. So, yeah, no, I, I, was, I was on the guy's side. I'm glad this movie had a... Uh, him in the role because I could definitely see a lot of those smart-ass comments coming from lesser direct-to-video actor people, and I, I would not be able to handle it for very long. I was definitely surprised with some of the performances early on, so uh, I think we'll talk about that a little later, but I, sh- I should do a little more of the plot. So Josh Charles plays Joe, and he's at this party where pretty much everyone is a really bad dancer. Uh, I just I just feel like pointing that out because I remember watching this college party. I'm like, what's these are like this is some really bad you know extra dancing. Yeah, well, it was it was so obvious that during the shoot there was no music playing and because nobody's really dancing very well. Nobody seems to be dancing to the same song, and yeah, it's really kind of hilarious. But he notices a mysterious girl at this party that's 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 uh taking notice of him so he's he's like what's going on there but uh as when he tries to pursue her she disappears so he leaves he goes back to his uh 
f- fairly stereotypical dorm or just place where he lives and he's got the answering machine full of messages like from his mom <laughs> well, yeah which i love this is this already this is the first few minutes of the movie and there's two instances of the screenwriting exposition uh like the easiest exposition tropes there are which is one is like the guys at the party going like dude ever since you broke up with blah 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 a couple months ago like you got that <laughs> one right there and then you got the guy pressing the answering machine and Hey, honey, this is your mother. I know we haven't... T- beep. Hey, this is your boss. I know we have... Beep. Like, you know, it, it, it's just... I don't know. Very uh, typical. Seamless. Yeah, seamless. <laughs> the, the the illusion, the magic of film. But anyways, he ignores all this as he ignores so much in his life. And then that night, he uh, meets up with this girl again. God, what was her name? Uh, I just call her Andrea Roth because that's her actress. Yeah. Okay, Andrea Roth. And... Uh, we find out that she is after uh, Josh Charles has this crystal that he wears around his neck that he got from his dad, the Explorer Man. Explorer Man. <laughs> Some, I mean, I feel like they explain it later, but it was it was never really a good explanation for me why they gave, um, why he gave his kid this valuable crystal. It sounds like he just kind of gave it to. Like his wife, and then she kind of let the son well, have it. Eventually, there was uh, there's a line where they, and this is kind of later on, but that he was going to at one point uh, inherit it and really be told what it can do, but he wasn't ready. But then when his dad died, like he just kind of got it. I, I don't know. It, it's weird. And uh, so she confronts him, and then I think it was at this point in time that they were attacked by some guys with suits and guns that surprising they miss so much but anyways they do and uh, andrew roth and josh charles escape and they arrive at this um motel hotel kind of complex and they open the door and then there's this giant kind of uh hanger almost where rutger hauer is is working on i don't know <laughs> inventor stuff <laughs> Yeah, no, well, he's just kind of hanging out. Yeah, the the Amazon review, what did it say about him? The coffee guzzling or whatever, it is, like that coffee chugging freedom. Fighter. Yeah, that which, first of all, uh, coffee chugging freedom fighter is my favorite guided by voices song. So I love that. <laughs> and secondly, that gives him more character, I think, than even the movie manages. I mean, what's what's kind of funny, it's not until I just said it a minute ago that I realized, wait, what's he do when they're not? fighting bad guys i you know that's the thing though when when comparing this movie to the matrix which so far every imdb <laughs> post on the on the message board <laughs> like, this is basically the yeah matrix. it's like this is the matrix for the matrix uh you know the matrix uh, solves this problem by just saying these guys don't exist in the real world really like th- th- this is their full-time job but like these two from what i can tell like they have a base of operations here in our dimension so i i guess it's kind of just like what it's Morpheus and Trinity, you know, they just kind of walk around in, in leather and here Rutger Hauer and what's her face just walk around in a, a duster and in black clothes and go to parties and look for Josh Charles drink coffee. So Rutger Hauer, Rutger Hauer plays AT, uh, and he's no nonsense, I guess, uh, He's always telling people to shut yeah, up. Yeah, which I think was the screenwriter at some point was just like, all right, there's a lot of genuine uh, questions that the audience is going to have. I'm going to give those questions to Josh Charles and then just have Rutger Hauer tell him to shut up every time he asks a question. So his character type is, I guess, basically he's a crank. Um, 
Uh, we're not really given a lot of the background of what they're doing yet. I feel like every time Josh Charles asks, what's going on? They're just like, shut up. We'll explain it later. <laughs> but maybe we should try to explain a little bit now since we didn't talk about the, the opening scrolling text. I, I think it's it's fairly simple. There's just some uh, some people that want control of this other dimension, but they need this crystal to get full control. Well, they're... Or to win the battle? Well, they're from that dimension. Um, basically, mm-hmm. the the crystal will open up the portal to uh, to our world, and uh, the only way they can control both worlds or all dimensions is if they have both the crystal and uh, a staff that the crystal goes in, and that crystal gives uh, the staff the power to open up uh, the new dimension, and so they want their army to be able to... Try, you know go through because otherwise they can only like send a few people in at a time i guess i don't know how many <laughs> it, it, it's not really specific to science but basically that it's just a MacGuffin that they need to get it's funny i said it was simple and i still messed it up <laughs> uh, uh, it, so, it's but, weird yeah <laughs> but at i uh, right off the bat i mean i, I like rucker Hauer, so i, I like him kind of automatically even though he's, he doesn't have much of a character <laughs> but something that i i mean i don't know if most people think this or or uh, it just kind of threw me was okay. So we know that, uh, Joe Joseph, uh, doesn't know his father and that his father disappeared or whatever at some point. So I see at and I'm like, well, this has got to be like his dad, right? <laughs> his name's at T Talbot. Oh. That, that's Joe's Talbot. So I figured, Oh, well, this is clearly going to be his dad. And every time I asked him about his dad, he's like, well, he's a great man. You're like, I knew him. And spoiler, I don't, if unless I miss something, I don't think AT ever turns out to be his dad. No. It was I thought it was a missed opportunity. At first, I thought it was obvious. I was like well, clearly, this is his dad. <laughs> but then he's not. Yeah. And I thought uh, then what's A and T? What's A and T? AT and T. What's AT and T stake in all this? Like I figured, if he had a connection to this Joe character, it, it, he would have had so much more invested in this this mission. But because he, he wasn't I, I don't know his character doesn't really make that much sense to me he's just kind of there because like we need a role to fit in a minor celebrity to get attention for our movie we can yeah. get Rutger Hauer yeah it just seemed like a wasted opportunity to me to not make him his dad I don't know did you get that feeling at all or was that just me yeah no I, I didn't think that uh I, I didn't think that Rutger Hauer was gonna be his dad although in hindsight yeah that that could have you know that would have worked uh, to fix the problem that I did have, which is that I, whenever they talked about his dad and his dad was a great man. And, you know, they, especially in the climax when they really kind of stake a lot on, um, you know, the audience having an emotional investment in the story of him and his father. I, I just don't give a shit. Cause I don't really know a whole, I'm not really invested in this character or his dad or the legacy or, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that probably would have helped get, if they had gone more in that direction. But and why the hell? Why would they call him At? Like yeah. I thought it'd be like, oh, my name's Alex Talbot. Yeah. It's, it's like, what kind of name's At? <laughs> Your name's At. Yeah, that's a- okay. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think minor complaint, but a complaint nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, so, so moving ahead, they have to. Uh, they have the crystal, but they got to get the the staff that was originally uncovered you know, by Joe's dad. So they go to this museum and um, for some reason, Richter Howard or AT at, 
doesn't want to go in because he thinks there's there's something real fishy, and he starts looking around. And there's there's all these people just kind of walking around. He, he's really suspicious, and there's some birds that he's suspicious of. <laughs> uh, kind of interesting because <laughs> there's some birds I I didn't like. Doesn't really seem like they do anything with that, so it's kind of funny. Well, the back crow is is supposedly like a harbinger of. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, but I don't, I don't know. It's not like it morphed into a dude. <laughs> that would have been great too. I would have loved it if they had morphing abilities. Oh well. But anyways, Josh, Charles, and Andrea Roth go into this museum, and they're looking for this item. And Josh Charles approaches this curator, you know, looking for this specific item, and it's some dorky guy in a suit, and he shows them where it is. And that's at this point that we find out that this dorky guy isn't a curator but he's he's the main bad guy ferris who wants the crystal and wants the staff and wants to take over i'll just say take over the crossroads <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's easier for me to say that so it was a trap record is right and that leads to a sequence that i actually kind of enjoyed uh one of the few where uh the there's these knights these suits of armor that attack them in the museum and they have to fight back and it was at that moment that I thought, you know what? I wonder if this movie would have worked better if it was for kids. Yeah. If they'd made the main character like a kid, because this is this is kind of fun. And like, I mean, this 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 plot so far is so dopey. Maybe if they'd made it more jokey and had more set pieces like this, it could work. I had the same thought. I thought, you know, I, I, you can almost kind of not quite as good but if if you look at something like time bandits or something uh, you know th- there there's space for the kind of uh where this movie is going with its uh interdimensional exploration and these villains from another like you, you definitely could have made something that is at least on the level of the children's classic big bad beetleborgs you know something in that vein <laughs> i think the thing about that scene is that i found it fairly imaginative and you know, this movie could have so easily have been scenes where when there's fights, it's just against other dudes with guns and then they get killed and it's violent. And I guess it's because it didn't have that kind of scene in in this particular uh, set piece that made me think, oh, you know, they should keep going this direction of doing these kind of imaginative sequences. Unfortunately, they don't really have any others that stuck out in my mind like this yeah. one. I, in fact, in general, I would say that the action in this movie is, is pretty it's kind of just blandly violent like there are people will shoot and then you'll get shots of people running away and then you know there's some hand-to-hand stuff but it's just very static shots of a few punches then it cuts another one like it it could have used more knights coming to life in a museum and breaking glass and people ducking at it like that that could have really given this movie a, a shot of i don't know creativity adrenaline i don't know and I mean, Rutger Hauer with his duster jacket, he could have had all sorts of dope, like quirky inventions. Oh, yeah, and, no. And all sorts of stuff like that. But no, he just sits in a hangar doing he just, nothing. He drinks coffee. He all just day. sits uh, there looking like I did in ninth grade when I wore a, a <laughs> trench coat very ill advisedly for some reason. And then he says, like, oh, I'm dedicated to this cause. But when there's any sign of trouble, you know, in the case of this museum, he's like, I'm going to stand out here. <laughs> this is the one thing that I, I do is help you I love save that. your world. Well, yeah, speak. But I'm not going to do. Speaking of the, I don't know if you noticed this, but the, the, in that scene is the second time, out of by my count three times in the movie where they did a variation on the Terminator uh, "Come with me if you want to live" line. Earlier in the when she's uh, first in his bedroom, she says "Come with me or you're dead," and then later on in that scene, I think it's like 
uh, it's safer if you stay with us. And then the other, there's another one where it's like, uh, you're not going to live unless you come with it. <laughs> like, and they, they keep doing that. Like, they're, it's, I don't know. I just thought it was funny that, for one, they, it, they did a line so reminiscent of that. But secondly, that there's like three or four different times in the movie where a character says that to and- him. And why are they so concerned with his safety? I mean, really, all they need is his crystal. And you see, that's why it made so much sense to me, just from a writing standpoint, to make Rutger Hauer his father. Because then he could have been, well, I want to keep him around because I've been reunited with him and I want to protect him. But if, if they have no connection to him, they don't need him. They just need the crystal, and then they can go save this uh, this world. And this girl, I, I think I forgot to mention, is from there. I can't remember if Rutger Hauer was from the other dimension yeah they're they're all from there and the and um okay yeah he actually apparently has a a little romance with uh the queen over in that dimension but it's you you could kind of blink and you miss that aspect of it because it's mentioned once and then alluded to in the in the final scene but it's almost like they're just bringing josh charles around because like oh we don't want him to get hurt i guess we brought him this far might as well bring him a little further yeah i know it doesn't really make any sense it makes no sense. And then, I, of course, you know, she kind of, they kind of have a little romance going on because, of course, they do. But even that is just so undercooked. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. There's definitely some points where he's he's like, I got to protect her. It's really important. And you've known her for what? A day? Yeah. Two days? Yeah. I mean, I guess she's looking attractive, so that's all you need to get that connection. I feel like they kind of drop out his his character development or i don't know they just, it just kind of takes a backseat to the action after the beginning he's just kind of there reacting and there's not really any reason for him to be there he's not really important yeah, he is reacting to a lot of things <laughs> that that pretty much is although again to his credit josh charles reacts to things very very charmingly so <laughs> could be worse i mean i think that's why i'm so reluctant to just go on the rest of the movie because it's not as clear to me it's just a bunch of kind of uh, cat and mouse type scenes of them going to some location oh let's not go here there's bad guys here it's a trap let's go here it's a trap it's bad guys mm-hmm. a lot of traps and bad uh, guys <laughs> a lot of traps and bad guys i mean there's a part later where uh josh charles ends up back in his own world and he's been like arrest he's arrested for a like a hit and run or something and there's all this I don't know. There's all the stuff that's going on. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and anyways, he he meets up with this little weird guy who, of course, double crosses the, him. the comic relief bad guy. The comic relief bad yeah. guy, who's like a really poor Kevin Pollock type. <laughs> poor man's Kevin Pollock. Yeah, he's just this short dude who is kind of. He says some funny things, uh, 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 you know, allegedly funny things, and he gets uh elbowed in the face by Rutger Hauer at one point, which is kind of cool. I don't know. You know, I mean, I'd say he's not memorable, but then again, it's like I went from the night sequence to this. There's definitely a lot of stuff that happened in between that, but for some reason it wasn't as memorable to me. There's just bits and pieces of this movie that stand out. We've talked about Ferris a little bit. How did Ferris sit for you as a villain? He's pretty bland. Um, I, I The actor isn't bad, I don't think. In fact, when you first meet him and he's kind of... Uh, he's just presented as this guy who works at a museum. Uh, you know, I thought, okay, well, he he's got some sliminess to him that I could, you know. But I, it's just very generic. I want to take over the world, and uh, I'm gonna kill you just like I killed your father. Yeah, that's the twist. Is that the he's the guy in the flashback at the beginning? And um, I don't remember. Does At have any connection to him? Not not a personal connection. No. Not not. <laughs> 
AT's just yeah. there. He has no connection to anything. I don't understand yeah, that. Yeah, no, it, it, it's... It, that that could... Really, this whole movie, it just it, it does feel kind of like a first draft, doesn't it? Like, there, there are elements that are in place, but it's like, you know, you gotta up the stakes. You have to actually develop the characters more. I don't know. It, it just seems like it's the sketch of what uh, is going to be a movie at some point. Yeah, I mean, I think you just got to stop it every now and then and ask, like, why are the characters doing this? Do they need to be doing this? You know, there's got to be reason for everything. Otherwise, it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. Just it's a logical nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's see. They have a lot of back and forth fights with Ferris. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention we are introduced um, every once in a while or shown this um, interdimensional hallway that they talk about. That is this uh, this kind of place in between the different worlds that just basically looks like the California desert. With some <laughs> yeah, with a filter. red filter on it. <laughs> I don't understand uh, why it couldn't have been some sweet vortex. Like, oh, just budgetary reasons, I think. Because there are some minor effects here and there. I remember some crappy CGI. And I also remember, I I think this was mentioned in that Amazon review, that door sequence, which I not I didn't really understand. Were there, I wasn't, a, were they like on a floor and then like stuff starts falling around them? It's oh, the, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, okay, elevator. yeah, I remember that scene. I wasn't sure at that point in time if, you know, Rutger Hauer is just saying, like, don't pay attention to it. It's not real. It's like, it feels pretty real. But then I was wondering, well, is are they in real danger right now? Or is this, are they just going yeah, insane? That, like, well, that's the thing is that if the rules of the universe in this movie are just so ill-defined. They're just not, I, I don't know what they are. Because he's like, oh, if you don't, if you ignore it, then it's not really there. It's just an illusion. But then, like, it's like, oh, at this point, you can't ignore it. Now it's, you have to get up. And then... It's actually not a terrible sequence in and of itself, which is which makes it even worse. Is because if you kind of took the same idea where they have to, you know, get up off this elevator before it reaches the ground, you know, that that's that could be fun. But it, I just found myself asking so many questions, like to my TV <laughs> screen. Like I, I was giving so much thought and energy to this. I, I know it's right. So it's like. So if he thinks this is dangerous, he's going to die. But if he thinks it's not dangerous, he's not going to uh, die. And which, at, at the very least, count your blessings. Thank God they didn't do the whole, oh, wait, guys, just don't believe it's real and they're safe. Because I fucking hate it when movies do that. <laughs> That's the worst. You know, this reminds me of another, uh, it's not really a similar scene. <laughs> I don't know what reminds me of it. But I guess because there's only so many action set pieces or just scenes where things of note happen. But I also remember that scene where they're, uh, the heroes are, are confronted by the bad guys and they're by some old car that the audience has been told has explosives in the mm-hmm. back. And they run away, but Rutger Hauer stays behind and blows up. But then you see him later. <laughs> yeah. He... And, and you're wondering, like, that was a pretty big explosion. So he didn't sacrifice his life? Yeah, like, I think... That bomb, maybe he just walked away and he was all covered in soot? No, like, I, there's something there. Like, apparently, like, he... I mean, they had the staff, but the staff had a fake Chris, uh, didn't have the real uh, medallion in it, but I guess the fake thing still had some, I don't don't know, somehow he was able to get, you know, just to the other dimension, but the thing is that if that is the case, which I'm not even sure if that is, that still wasn't established beforehand that that's something that that you could do, was you could... uh, 
survive and go through uh, to the other dimension if you have that with you and you, and you get hurt or something. So it, it's really just kind of, it just seems like a continuity error, like a really bad continuity. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, he died, but he's alive now. So I don't know where they had the time to come up with this other crystal, too. It just kind of popped up. Oh, there's another crystal. Yeah, it's, it's thrown into the mix <laughs> at some point. And some other shit happens. I remember then there's the, uh, I don't know if I'm missing anything important before this, but there's the big battle between Joe and Ferris. Mm-hmm. I th- I believe they were fighting in the interdimensional hallway. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, Joe learns how to use the power of the staff. <laughs> I don't know what he overcame to, you know, to be able to wield its power, yeah. but... Pretty generic adversity. (laughs) Somehow he can do this weird effect where he could just kind of wave the stick through Ferris like he's a ghost or something. Yeah, and he 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 does that until Ferris's body becomes solid around it, and he becomes you know he's been pierced with. Yeah, I I kind of put it together that earlier when um, At is dead and him and Andrea Roth are in the desert, and he kind of. He starts doing the thing that AT did earlier where he puts the staff in the ground and the wind rises and then he's able to open the next dimension. Like, I think that by doing that, he had, you know, successfully, like, inherited the power, harnessed the power or something. But it's not It's not really, like, uh, I don't know, it's not really highlighted. If that is what happens, then it's not made clear. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was not. Cause I had no idea. Yeah. I was like, what's going on here? This <laughs> stick is like making him get all swirly and weird. Yeah, no, it, it transparent. it's kind of half-assed, but, um, but that, what did you think of that scene, that fight scene between the two of them? I, I honestly, I just thought it was kind of funny, uh, with the, with the effects. I don't know. Did you feel different? No, I, I thought it was kind of funny that, uh, <laughs> It, that that does seem like something that's very after effects like the like today i could make that on a, a well i don't Aaron anymore can make that on a computer very, very easily <laughs> um you know but uh i i guess the concept of uh he's making teleporting him to all these places like into a pool and into this you know steel room and, and beating him there that that's a that's not a bad idea in theory but in practice it's just kind of bizarre because you know, he's like teleporting him all across Earth now. Is that a thing that he can do? And if so, why doesn't he just like teleport him into a volcano? And I don't know. I really would have liked some more understanding of Ferris and his men and their the ability, what power they already wield. It would have been nice because it seems like they just kind of pick and choose what they can do. <laughs> They're just kind of magical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of brings to mind like, uh, say what you will about like st- Star Wars and, and George Lucas as a storyteller, but in that original Star Wars, the way that they established the Force and what the Force is, they managed to make it both mysterious and mystical, and you know, on yeah, well, mysterious and mystical, but also it's very clear what it is effectively, and you know, it, you can you can wrap your head around it but still be you know uh invested in like this mystical energy whereas here like the power of the staff and what it can do it's just vague and it makes it like makes people wobbly and and <laughs> it can kill like short people by touching their heads if <laughs> I, I don't know it's <laughs> bizarre 
But of course, the final killing blow to Ferris is uh, pretty funny to watch when when he pierces him and then he kind of implodes on himself, (laughs) like a weird, like almost like a black hole. Yeah, Yeah. that was real. I was I was like, that's terrifying. What's going on, dude? What's like, what's happening right now? Like Mm -hmm. it was just it. It was kind of funny, but it was also kind of it was gruesome in like the dopiest. Yeah, way. it's it's very like Disney Channel original movie like level of both effect and of getting rid of a villain. Like I feel like whenever in one of those movies you can't kill a bad guy because it's Disney, but you could like make him disappear in a weird way. But here it's not like played right. for laughs or anything. It's just like <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And after Ferris is defeated, what I love is the I, I want to say it was the next shot was of a Saturn-like looking planet <laughs> hanging in the sky, which looks really stupid. So you immediately, you know, oh, we're in the other <laughs> dimension. We're finally going to get to see where these characters are yeah. from, and it's just like a desert with tents. <laughs> and I felt kind of gypped. I was, I was just... Where's the city? Where's the town? This is this doesn't seem like that many people. Yeah, and you just get the one shot really, and then you from that point on, I think it's just like the interior of that one tent. You know, they have some computer type <laughs> computers, stuff, but <laughs> yeah, it it pretty much just looks exactly like you know a, a more futuristic version of our world. It's really not that different. Yeah, I think I would have liked to see this other world kind of been like the opposite to our world they're like a cowboy world they're just something different <laughs> like futurama the cowboy <laughs> yeah you know like i like to think all these other different dimensions are flipped versions of other dimensions yeah you know for a movie about interdimensional travel they don't really play with that concept very much of what other dimensions could be like or how they're different yeah you know, mean, they're all relatively similar yeah you know and uh, to the extent that uh, I mean, okay, this movie is obviously a straight-to-video, very low-budget thing, so maybe if they felt like, okay, we don't really have the money to show a whole bunch of different worlds, but if that's the problem, then the solution isn't, well, let's just kind of half-ass it and and just show, like, a red desert and then this, you know, place with a bunch of tents. Like, I, I think you can just kind of say, oh, well, there's two dimensions and they're at war, and I don't know. I feel like this is something that they could have worked around... Uh, better than they did yeah i kept expecting him to go to a dimension that was really similar to his but where like everything had been is was a little different you know like he was never born yeah Uh, like that's something you can do in a low budget but that's not something they even considered exploring or one where his dad's alive yeah that's uh, we find out later his dad was killed by ferris i forgot yeah well and that's the thing that i i would have liked that's the solution i think was instead of making okay this dimension is gonna have planets in the sky and a tent with computers you know like just uh you know make it a different dimension that's slightly off and then yeah like you're saying have his dad be alive in that dimension you know because then there's uh there's an emotional payoff to there being this different world there there's something to it that that you know goes deeper than just this is the best we can do with our shitty 1996 cgi you know like yeah. I mean, I know they had limited resources, but they had some things. They had uh, they had Rutger Hauer. They had uh, some acting talent. They had the the director and writer was the second camera operator on Halloween. I know, so. I saw that, and he also worked <laughs> on the Fog. So I'm guessing he was the John Carpenter homie. Yeah, so he's got his connections. I mean, all you got to do is sit down and just take another crack at that script. I mean, I know it's straight to video, but I can't believe no one at any point asked. Uh, is this is this done? Is this what we want? Is this what we want to make? 
but I mean, I guess that's what happens when you have those really low budget uh, movies, but are by, you know, somewhat significant studios that just, you know, we got to get it out. We don't really care what it is. It just has to get made. You know, we have some money for effects and some money for a minor star. Yeah. But, you know, just do it. And that's kind of depressing. I mean, they did do some good things with it. I I liked some jokes. I liked some of the performances. I did like Rutger Hauer, even though I didn't like his character. I think Rutger Hauer is a great actor, so it's, he's always kind of fun to watch. Even if he does look a little tired in this, he looks kind of out of shape. <laughs> uh, which surprised me because it's only the mid-90s. But, yeah. You know, I guess even then he's kind of. I think he old. bounced back a little bit toward the tail end of the the decade. I think he started getting, like more kind of character actory parts. So. But this part, this is probably like the the valley of <laughs> of Rutger Hauer's uh, career. I was just gonna say it's kind of sad that I feel like his career dropped off so quickly mm-hmm. after Blade Runner into doing these kind of yeah, projects. I... I don't know. I, it's, has there ever I like? Okay, I guess the minor role in Batman Begins, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I don't think he's uh, he's done much like non B movie direct to video kind of. But I don't know. Maybe that's it's a paycheck, and he seems to. He doesn't seem like depressed or anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it really bummed me out. If I found out that Rutger Hauer, Hauer had a bad time making this movie, uh, I hope not. I hope Rutger Hauer had a great time and was able to buy a nice car, or redo his kitchen, or something. I would, yeah, I'd love to hear. You know, like they let me keep the coffee yeah. machine. Okay, Rutger, this is the coffee machine from Crossroads. <laughs> the, the coffee machine from. Uh, Rutger Hauer, if you're out there listening, or if anybody out there listening is uh, has any kind of connection to Rutger Hauer, we'd love to get in touch with you, and we'd love to hear about your experience making the movie and just uh, what you're up to now. Just throwing that out there. I thought I'd include that. That's all. Okay, so at the end of the day, you know, I, I come home. I just want to relax. I want to flip on Netflix, watch something. I see Crossroads is up there. Should I watch it? What do you think? You know, it, it's a no because I, it's just so, um, it's just bland and underwritten and uh, there's so many things that uh, are confusing when they really shouldn't be in this kind of, it, it should be a very quick, sturdy, 90 minute uh, little sci-fi flick. Uh, it, it should be a movie that is, is kind of built to do one job and it gets that job done well. Uh, in this case, it just doesn't. Uh, there are, like you said, there are some funny jokes. At the we talked about the little Jack Black line earlier, but there was also that part where uh, they, when they first take him to the desert to go to the new dimension, and he looks around and says, "Oh, so which house is yours?" Like there's there's little I don't know. Josh Charles, I think, is really uh, charming enough to make a lot of his lines work, and you know, like you said, just seeing Rucker Howard at all is always <laughs> kind of a treat. Maybe that's just us. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, for all of the charms that this kind of thing has, it's just, I, I can't recommend it to anybody in good conscience. I'm going to have to agree with you. I uh, I, th- I think it's a curiosity to check out if, if you want to see what Josh Charles or Jack Black, you know, did before whatever they're doing now. Um, <laughs> you know, it's worth checking out. But aside from that, no, it's just a throwaway sci-fi flick that I don't think anyone was like super invested in. <laughs> So don't feel like you're hurting anyone's feelings by not watching it, because you're probably not. So that's uh, Crossworlds. Um, sorry, Crossworlds. <laughs> sorry, Crossworlds. <laughs> can, I, can I just say that uh, when I was watching Crossworlds, uh, 
Britt was next to me, my girlfriend Britt, for those who don't know. Um, she was uh, just kind of doing her own thing and half paying attention. And then at the end of it, I just kind of laughed <laughs> at, at what that was. And and Britt just looked at me and she was like, why do you and John do that to yourselves? <laughs> Which I kind of want to be the tagline. <laughs> or, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, the people. Yeah, need they to need to know. We need to. Because I said on this last episode, what if Crosswells actually turns out to be this this long yeah. gem? And, you know, there's certain parts where it wasn't yeah. that bad. It could have. It could have happened. It no, did it. But yeah, it there there were times where I'm like, oh, man, is Crossworld's going to flip the script a little bit? But no. Nah, um but no, we need to let people know what's good, bad, and ugly. So now let's move on to a segment called John and Michael Recommend. I checked out two movies in the past couple of weeks on Netflix uh, that were both both interesting for different reasons. I'll go with the first one. <laughs> I think this was the name of it. Uh, I know that Voice, which is a documentary about voice acting, it was produced by John DiMaggio Bender on Futurama, and it's basically a documentary where they interview uh, voice actors like Tom Kenny and Billy West and all these people about how they got started and the, how, their process, and it kind of gives you a background on the history of voice acting. So, I mean, right off the bat, that intrigued me because I always love seeing these guys do their voices and how they come up with it and what their creative process is like. That was all really interesting to me. Uh, probably the problem with this documentary is it jumps around so much that you can never really get situated and comfortable in it. They, it covers so much ground, so many people. They talk to so many people. I think I would have preferred to see just this, like a movie following like the life of John DiMaggio almost, <laughs> like him waking up, him going to a recording session, him going to like a Comic-Con, him meeting up with some other voice actors. Then I could have seen, oh, this is what it's like to be a voice actor. Because I know, you know, voice actors, I, I, I know these people, I, I've, I'm i familiar with their characters. I would have liked to see what their voice actor's life is like. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But I feel like in some ways this was kind of a missed opportunity. But I'm going to throw it out for a mild recommendation just because it's an interesting process to, to go behind the scenes, you know, like this and... And see these people that aren't normally featured on camera. Uh, so that is on Netflix. I think it's from just last year. It's pretty recent. Uh, or this year even. Uh, I do have another recommendation, but I'll, I could throw it over to you, Michael, if you want to. Uh, one of the... I don't know, it just kept popping into my head when I was watching this movie uh, was Time Chasers, which is an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, or is a movie feature, an episode, I should say. Uh, which is pretty similar in that it's a very low-budget sci-fi movie um, where there's a character who tosses off one-liners and, you know, that there, there's a, a girl and another guy, and they, they're going, uh, in this movie, across time, uh, you know, <laughs> instead of uh, other, other dimensions and stuff. But like Crossworlds, I you can't say that it's a good movie. Obviously, it's on Mystery Science Theater, so it's not a good movie on a technical level. But also like Crossworlds, it, it's it has a goofy charm to it that it it could be so much worse if it weren't such a labor of love. Obviously, on the part of the creators, and if the cast weren't you know 
fairly charming. So I recommend uh, both the episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which is one of the top 10 best episodes, I think. A lot of funny riffs. But also, if you go on, uh, I think it's on Google Video. Um, it's somewhere online. You can see the uh, original uh, movie with no riffing, not on uh, MST3K. And just watch it. Just just see if on its own it can kind of coast by on some of the sort of cruddy charm <laughs> that that Cross Worlds, uh, you know, also manages to some extent. Um, I don't know. It's just it, it's it's fun and it's fun to laugh at even without the the riffing. Yeah, I don't know. How old is this movie? It's, uh, it was made in '91 and released in '94, and then uh, MST3K did it. I think '95, '96. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize they did movies that that recently. You know, I knew they did '80s movies, but I I, I didn't remember them doing any '90s yeah. ones. So that's that sounds yeah. like a treat. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to check that out. And then my uh, second recommendation. Uh, we should have started with yours. Yours was so tied into what we were talking <laughs> about that I neither of mine Sorry. are. But this is one where if you're a film fan or just somebody who's interested in film, it's probably been on your radar a little bit, uh, whether or not you've seen it. And that's Blue Ruins which was uh, it technically came out last year, but is more prominent this year. Are you familiar with Blue Ruins at all, Michael? Have you heard about this one? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, though. It was a Kickstarter-funded project that was successfully funded and came out uh, just kind of a bunch of nobodies, but it's this great revenge thriller film, uh, basically about this homeless drifter uh, who became uh, unhinged uh, mentally after this, uh, in the 90s, this this killer or this man just killed his parents. So it kind of drove him insane. And then uh, as the movie picks up, he's been contacted. Uh, the co- police have contacted him and told him that this killer is going to be released. And they just wanted him to know that. So without any words, this movie is very, uh, it's not a lot of dialogue. It's very lean on dialogue. We know that this guy wants to take care of this situation. So then this hobo character goes out on this, uh, this journey to go find this, to go find this uh, killer and we don't really know what he's going to do or how the movie's how it's going to play out and it takes a lot of unexpected twists and turns and it's a great edge of your seat thriller it's more action oriented than i thought it was going to be it's pretty violent it's pretty action packed but i'd say as a whole i definitely recommend it it's it's exciting uh i mean when there's so many bloated crappy action movies that are released you know in mainstream theaters it's nice to see like an indie one that's like so much more effective at essentially the same kind of thing so so that was really cool some people have said it's it's kind of like the coen brothers but i don't really see that at all i mean it's it's definitely uh like 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 blood simple maybe kind of edge of your seat like oh god but it's, it definitely doesn't have the humor of that this is a very humorless film but i'd still i'd still recommend it it's exciting okay well, yeah, no, I've, uh, I, I guess I didn't even realize it was on streaming because I, I haven't seen that yet. I'd like to. Uh, my second recommendation uh, would be uh, Computer Chess, which is one of my favorite movies from last year. Um, I think it's, uh, it's just been on my mind lately because uh, now that we're uh, getting toward the end of this year and I've been thinking of all the movies that I've seen this year, I, I'm... This isn't ha- this hasn't been a terrible mo- uh, year for movies, but I was thinking of how strong 2013 was, and uh, I was kind of watching some of uh, my favorites from last year. And this one I already liked, but I, I think I like it e- more each time I see it. Um, it's a movie by Andrew Bajalski, 
um, who is kind of one of the fathers of uh, the mumblecore movement. And so because of that reputation, I when I saw this movie, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be um, a bunch of... It's a period piece about a bunch of people who uh, are at a computer chess tournament. So I thought, oh, it's going to be kind of like a fly-in-the-wall little indie comedy about that. It's definitely not that. In fact, it's really unlike any other movie I've ever seen. It's surreal and bizarre and funny and scary and... Uh, I I don't even I can't even uh, give a synopsis. It, it's very unique, and I think it's best to kind of go in cold. But uh, yeah, Computer Chess is on Netflix, and I highly recommend checking it out. And now the portion of our show where we go to the Netflix randomizer. This is where we go to a site called Allflix that has an app called the Netflix randomizer that randomly sorts through uh, films on Netflix. So I think I can do it this week on my end, even though my internet tends to be slower than yours, Michael. I feel like it's more sus- suspenseful if I do it sometimes. <laughs> it's like, sure. wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah. So uh, just doing the, the same thing this week. I got it just set to movies. No, uh, no emphasis on any specific kind of category or anything. We're just going to kind of see what happens and have fun with it and hope and pray that we don't get something <laughs> unwatchable. So yeah. here is the first click now. Okay, we have <laughs> The Twelve Dogs of Christmas, All 2005. Right. It sounds exactly what you think it w- would sound <laughs> like. It's um, in this heartwarming holiday tale set during the Great Depression Irrepressible 12-year-old Emma sets out to treat her down-and-out community to an inspiring Christmas pageant starring some spirited canines. All right. I don't know if this is appropriate for the time of year, but uh, (laughs) that could be an interesting conversation here Two twenty 20-something guys talk about the 12 dogs of Christmas in, like, an analytical way, which I don't know if that's ever happened, so we'd be trailblazers if we went with that. So I'm going (laughs) to click again. And I've received a film. It is a drama called Keep the Lights On 2012. Uh, The physical romance between a gay filmmaker and an attorney soon evolves into a more complex relationship laced with conflicting desires. Over several turbulent years, both men struggle to build a true acceptance of the other's strengths and flaws. Director Iris Sachs. Ah. I don't recognize any of the people in the cast. Uh. Have you heard of this? Does it sound familiar at all? Uh, I've heard of Iris Sachs. I have not seen this movie. Um, is it from the producers of The Twelve Dogs of Christmas? <laughs> because you looked at Twelve Dogs of Christmas, you might like <laughs> keep the lights on. This uh, this very serious uh, gay drama. I don't I don't know. I don't know anything about this. So that is kind of interesting in that it's just a total mystery to me. So now I'm going to click one more time. And hopefully we'll get something fun. And I've got a movie called Philly Brown 2012. Another drama. Let's see. Offered a chance to be a star, a young rapper must decide whether to go for the gold or remain true to herself and the friends who've helped her. Meanwhile, her family struggles with her mom in jail and her ex-gangbanger dad trying to go straight. And this has Gina Rodriguez, Jenny Rivera, Lou Diamond Phillips, Edward James Olmos. <laughs> I was definitely interested when I heard 
a young rapper because it's interesting when it's a music movie and it's not it's like an, a smaller independent one so i don't know there's just something about that that yeah uh, that is intriguing to me and also uh a little stand in the liver reunion oh yeah Edward james almost and ludana phillips i'm gonna pretend that they're the same characters no matter what <laughs> the movie is there you go oh and i noticed the director directors uh Yusuf Dallara and this other person's name is Michael D. Almos. Oh, hmm, hmm, a little nepotiz, perhaps. <laughs> so maybe you'll get to hear us talk about that. Maybe not. We'll decide, and you'll see it on next week's episodes. Uh, you can find this podcast on mildlypleased.com. You can also find it on iTunes by searching Mildly Pleased. We also have a Tumblr. Uh, you know, just search for us on the internet. I'm sure we'll pop up somewhere. I hope you enjoyed our review of Crossworlds, and we hope to see you next week. So until then, adios. Later.